0: Oh, better? That's good. We get, if we could answer that every day, that would be pretty awesome. Hey, hey last week we, uh, we started in kind of on the dis- develop disciples stuff. Two weeks ago, you remember I talked about like, here's what we're doing. We're going to be disciples. It's going to be awesome. And everybody was like, yay, sort of. Uh, and then uh, we talked last week about the, uh, you know, the different symbols we have on here. Uh, it's been pointed out by not uh, a few people that the first symbol looks like bacon. So... I, I just I don't want to ruin the image in your minds, but I, you know every time you think about baptism and bacon, maybe we should make that positive association. But anyway, last week was uh, Disciples Follow Christ Into the Water, and you filled out those cards, and we have w- amazing responses from it. Um, I wanted to share with you just a few of the responses that we got from those cards. So I got one here on the screen I want you to look at, um, and it's uh, it just when people were s- supposed to write down a date right when they're supposed to stop and think about when when did I get baptized I mean a lot of you drew a huge fat blank right you were like I know it was sometime in my past but beyond that I'm not specifically sure so I redacted the name just kidding I didn't redact it it's uh Mike Ward um you can go to the next slide if you want for me Thomas a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Um, so he doesn't need to talk to anybody be being, being baptized. I also want to poke a little fun at one of our elders, Leon Ross, who, I don't know what that is. I'm not sure that that's a number. Um, it looks like 196 maybe is where he started, and Leon, we know you're, you're, you qualify for AARP, but 196 AD is not probably, so maybe you wrote that five in there. Actually, I heard the story is that somebody else was writing it down. He was dictating it, and he wrote, I think it was 1960. So they got 1960. He's like, wait, nope, nope, 1950. So some of you were shooting for the wrong decade. Uh, that's all right. And then this last one is one of my favorites. Um, this has been, uh, James T. Kirk has been baptized. Um, there's a lot of you who are going to be like, who's James T. Kirk? Uh, You got to go back in time and watch uh, some old Star Trek TV shows. But he's going to be baptized in 2,225, so I've put that on my calendar. I did, by the way, email the address on there just to see what would happen. I know two things about this card: one, it was a guy, and uh, two, his wife was elbowing him, telling him not to do that. So I just thought that was fun. But we got a lot of really great responses, and. uh, uh, just love people kind of stopping and taking stock of when they were baptized, when, they were, when that happened for them. Brandon's going to know exactly when it was, if he ever fills out his card, at least for the next week or so. He may forget after that. Um, I know one person wrote down the 70s because they were like, it was somewhere in there. Um, and the baptisms just have been wonderful. We've been really, one of the things our church wants to focus on and wants to highlight is baptism. We've always been about that, but we want to do that in kind of a renewed way. And so honestly, this is so true. If someone is thinking about this, if it's, they've been toying with the idea, and I know there's a number of people out there who have, who have had conversations, we want you to know that this is a priority for us, and we want to get you the answers and the direction, or we just want to get you uh, ready for this in any way possible, because we think it's a huge part of our relationship with God where we're declaring our dependence on him and allowing him to take away uh, the sins that we've kind of compiled over the years. And he he removes that sin as far as the east is from the west. And that is such a wonderful uh, experience that that God would work in our lives in that way. So we want you to, to, uh, to know what that is all about. So disciples follow Christ into the water. That was our first of our five, let me say, guideposts of discipleship. Now, hopefully you get that discipleship is not somehow five checklists, five things you, on your to-do list that you have to do and Number one is baptism, and number two is what we're going to talk about today. That's not the way discipleship works at all, and if you have understood it to be that way, let me just disabuse you of that notion, because discipleship is not like, let's get these five things done, and now I'm a disciple. With the exception of baptism, discipleship is constantly getting deeper and deeper in each of those things, and we're going to talk about one uh, very important one today, but I want you to think of discipleship and these five things as a guideposts pointing you in the direction of what it means to be a disciple, does it mean if you have all these five things that I, we declare you a de- No, it just means that you are like trying to follow Jesus. And most of what we do as disciples boil down to one of these five things. Is this all of it? No. But most of what we do boils down to these five things and it's pointing us in this direction. So, I hope that we understand that it's not some sort of checklist. If maybe you grew up with the five steps of salvation, this isn't what that is at all. And I don't want you to think back to that. This is your life, this is the direction of your life in terms of following Jesus. And I think it's important that we understand that distinction. So, what we're going to talk about today is this discipleship can't be done alone. Discipleship can't be done alone. In fact, it is sad when you try to do it alone. Like a little kid on a teeter-totter and there's nobody on the other end. Discipleship cannot be done alone. We're done, right? Let's go home. See, here's the thing about this. This is something that we've known for a long time and we still try to pursue sort of an independence in our relationship with God that just is not we're not capable of. It's not the way discipleship works. It's not the way God created us. Discipleship cannot be done alone. It is inherently relational. It is built to be relational. The concept of discipleship implies that there's more than one person involved in this process. It cannot be done alone. And those of you that think it can, you're wrong. Those of you that think you can kind of take a little bit of Jesus and you can go off and do your thing, you're wrong. And I hope that's why you're here this morning because you understand that already. But sometimes in our lives, we get in these moments where We're like, I don't like any of the other Christians. I don't want to be around anybody. I'm just going to do my own thing, and you cannot do your own thing. You need people to help you through this process of what it means to live as Jesus lived. We need people, we cannot be done alone. So, our second marker on on the path to discipleship as we move deeper into discipleship is this disciples connect with other disciples. Disciples connect with other disciples. We have uh, we've talked about how cool it would be. I know I think about this occasionally. How cool it would be to just sit across from Jesus, uh, have him over for dinner. I have some questions I would ask, right? Some things that I don't know. People come to me and say, "What about this?" You know, answer me this, and I'm like, "I don't know." someday we're just going to have to ask Jesus. And I'd love to sit across from Jesus, get some answers. I uh, ask him some things, hear some things like, hey, Jesus, what, are we, have, we, what have we gotten wrong? Like, just tell me. I just want to know. But it would, be, it would be interesting to just, like, take notes, just watch him live. You know what I mean? Just, just under, just, and not even, maybe not even talk to him. Can you imagine this? Just watching Jesus go about his daily routine. How many of you would be interested in that, right? We have, we have channels dedicated to, like, celebrities going grocery shopping. I don't care about them. But I'd be curious to watch Jesus go grocery shopping, wouldn't you? I'd be walking through the aisles like, all right, what does Jesus buy? Very interesting, generic brands. Very interesting, Jesus. He's like very. I would love that. I would. I would. I would love to watch Jesus relax at home. Wouldn't you? Would that be interesting? What does Jesus do at home? Netflix. Well, that's very interesting. Oh, nature documentaries. Okay, that's good. That's very good to know about Jesus. That would be very interesting to know, like, what does he do? Like, what would Jesus do about the things that we don't know? The Bible just doesn't describe some of these things. And Jesus didn't have an opportunity to exemplify some of these things. How would Jesus' social media? Would Jesus be one of those guys? Does he like everybody's posts? Does Jesus post very often? Does he, what does he post about? Would we, would we be like, Jesus, come on, you're posting too much Bible. There's too many Bible verses in your, in, in your, in your posts. We just, what would he do? I don't know because we, Jesus didn't have that opportunity to, to, to show us. He didn't have Facebook. He didn't have Instagram. What would he do? How would he go grocery shopping? How would he, How this is so interesting to me. Have you ever thought about this? How would Jesus apologize to someone? He never needed to apologize to anybody. How would Jesus do that? I don't know because he never needed to do it. There's some things that we just don't know how Jesus would do it. would be a, a fascinating to like sit around and watch him. How would Jesus drive wouldn't that be interesting? I, would be, I think Jesus probably would use his horn. I'd, I don't know. I just think he would. It'd be like, interesting, Jesus uses the horn. He's not very Minnesotan. I'd, I think it would be Interesting. But discipleship is trying to understand how Jesus might live for the purpose of living like him. And and through this series, we've been defining discipleship this way. Discipleship is obsessively following Jesus for the purpose of intentionally becoming like him. Obsessively. It's a negative word, I know that, but I think it's good in this connotation. Obsessively following Jesus. I want to know everything about Jesus and what he would do for the purposes of, of, of being like that and reacting to people and responding to people around me like that. I want you to look at one of, uh, one of his disciples by extension, uh, an apostle that, uh, he didn't, that didn't get to follow him around day to day like the original 12, but a guy by the name of Paul. And in Philippians chapter 3, he talks about this a little bit. In Philippians chapter 3, it's this very interesting passage where he says in verse 4, starting in verse 4, he says, We put no confidence in human effort. And Paul's like, we don't care about your resume. We don't care about it. Your resume has nothing to do with your relationship with God. Good job. You got A's in high school. Fantastic. Nothing to do with your relationship with God. You don't walk around on church on Sunday, got A's in high school. It doesn't matter, right? Your resume does not matter. We put no confidence in human effort, though... I could have confidence if my, in my own effort if anyone could. And I think that's so funny. He's like, we don't care about your resume, but let me give you a little bit of mine real quick because I want you to know how impressive mine was to show you how little it matters. And then he goes on, verse 5, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. Well, I don't think you did that, Paul. Somebody did that for you, but fine, you can put that on your resume. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin. I am a real Hebrew if there ever was one. That's pretty cool. So we can walk around with his head held high about all the things that he had done in relationship to his religion like nobody could look down on him for anything like his upbringing and the way his parents raised him and what he was taught verse uh, the, the latter part of this i was a member of the pharisees now they got a negative connotation but they were a pretty up well you know well to do religious group who demanded the strictest obedience to the jewish law i was so zealous i was so zealous for god that i persecuted the church that's part of his resume i think you'd keep that down on uh, uh if you were applying for jobs at churches as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable. But now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, listen to this. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing, obsessively following Jesus, Christ Jesus, my Lord. Infinite, everything is worthless. And I don't know. I think we read that and we're like, that's cool to strive for. That is not how I live. I don't consider everything in my life garbage relative to finding more out about Jesus. All of this then, he says, and this is a few verses later, should take who are mature should take such a few of things. And if on some point you think differently, don't worry, you're wrong. God will eventually make it clear. But everything is pointless compared to knowing Jesus, compared to obsessively knowing Jesus. Verse 17 is so interesting. This is where I want to spend a little time this morning. Join together in following my example in this, in this obsessive pursuit of Jesus join together in following my example brothers and sisters just as you have uh, us as a model keep your eyes on those who live as we do that's such an interesting passage if you want a better idea of what Jesus would do find people who are trying to do what Jesus would do how would Jesus Netflix how would Jesus drive how would Jesus apologize how would Jesus parent he didn't have kids how would he parent find people who are trying to do what Jesus would do, if you want a better idea of what Jesus would do. How's that for a tongue twister? Disciples connect with other disciples. Disciples connect with other disciples. Let me give you an example. Um, My, uh, our backyards, me and all our neighbors along our street have backyards that are, there's no fences. And the kids will go back and play, and they will run up and down this stretch of backyards. And there's a bunch of little kids at various houses. And next door to us is Bob, and he has no kids, but he seems okay. I haven't checked them, but he seems okay with the kids running around his backyard. And they run through his backyard to our neighbors who have a play place and a couple other things over there. So they're always running around in this backyard, and it's fantastic, and I think it's, you know, fun and cool. So I go out there, this is not very long ago, I go out there and I'm looking at Bob's backyard and I took a picture of it but I forgot to put it on the, the PowerPoint and there is a tree in his backyard, a full grown tree in his backyard and I go inside and I was like, hey Kareen, Bob planted a tree in his backyard and it's a big one and I, the dirt isn't even disturbed. Like he just put this tree in yesterday. I go inside and Kareen's like, that, that tree's been there since we moved in and I'm like, no, no, no. No, he just put that tree in. I can guarantee you that tree has not been there because I have memories of the kids running through the backyard, playing catch, running around, and there was no tree there. And Chris says um, the tree that is in Bob's backyard has been in that same spot since we moved in. No, 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 honey, you don't understand. I never call her honey. I don't know why I said that. No, 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 <laughs> you don't understand. Like. That was like, I have memories in my head of kids playing and running through there, and they would have run into the tree had it been there. And she's at this point, she's like calling 911. I think that she didn't really, but I think that there's something wrong. with. I guaranteed you there is a tree there. Now, I am worried that this is like a Truman show kind of situation. Like, is there some giant practical joke being played on me that I don't understand? Because if you had asked me, if you said a you, million dollars is on the line that that tree was not there, I would have said, yeah, it was not there. There's no tree in that spot in my backyard. And everybody else around me is like, it has always been there. It's got even a little cage around it so squirrels can't climb up it. The tree has been a fixture in his backyard since we moved in this house. And I could have, I, I would have taken an oath that it was not there now some of you may be thinking all right that says more about you than it does anything else but i want you to know i think our human capacity for confusion is almost infinite (laughs) now you're like okay patrick your capacity for confusion is almost infinite but all of you had vivid memories of things that you did not do and your just ask your spouse You have memories of things that you did not do. You have college buddies who have told stories so many times it feels like you were there, and you reached a point in your life where you're like, oh, yeah, I was there, and you were not there. There is things in your life that you believe you did that you did not do because of our infinite capacity for confusion as human beings. Did you know that? I know you're sitting there saying, nope, nope, nope. I want to illustrate this here in this room this morning that some of you are confused because I know it's not just me, right? And I know this seems a little insulting that some of you are confused, but it's not just me. Because I've interacted with people and I know it's not just me, right? People can get a little confused about things. Let me give you an example. Um, You guys know that Bible verse where uh, it says moderation in all things? You guys know that one, right? I didn't write down the reference. Does somebody remember where that reference is for me? It's not there! Now, most of you are like, I knew where he was going with this, so I wasn't going to raise my hand. I know he was messing with me. But some of you are sitting there thinking, you got your phones out now, now," and you're like, moderation. I know it's there somewhere. I know it's there. My grandpa said it was there. My grandpa quoted that verse so many times. You know what he was quoting out of? First imaginations. (laughs) Moderation in all things, it doesn't exist. Is it a good principle to live by? Yeah. If you read early Greek poetry, you'll find that. But it wasn't in the Bible. He didn't even say that, but nice try, false attribution. Um, How about this? This is one Ben Franklin did say. God helps those who help themselves. And you're like, no, 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 Patrick, you don't understand. That is in my Bible. I've I've read the words of Jesus. It's in red ink on my Bible. God helps those who help themselves. This is the verse that I apply every time I drive right by a homeless person. God helps those who help themselves. You start helping yourself, and God will help you. I'm not any part of this equation. God helps those who help themselves. It's in my Bible. I've seen it. I have it underlined. Some of you are flipping through your Bible. I have it underlined. It doesn't exist. How about this? God only gives us what we can handle. Now, wait a second, Patrick. Now you have crossed the line because Grandma said that all the time. Honey, God only gives us what we can handle. It's in the Bible, as the good book says. Did you know that's not in the Bible? Some of you are like, well, something like that is in the Bible, right? Yeah. God doesn't allow us to go through temptation, but he always provides a way of escape. But God gives us a lot that we can't handle, folks. I wouldn't say God gives it to us. Maybe we should rephrase that. But life gives you a lot that you can't handle, right? Stress. You ever been stressed? <laughs> it's you not handling it. Oh, I'm about to get in trouble with this next one. Avoid the appearance of evil. Now, that is in my Bible. That is in my Bible. Some of you are like, yes, it's in my Bible. I've heard sermons about it. I've heard sermons where that is the text of the sermon. Mm. Did you know? Now, this is a little tricky one. Those of you that read King James are looking up that verse right now, and you're like, yeah, it's in my Bible. But do you know what the word appearance means when they wrote about it in 1611? It means showing up, making an appearance. It doesn't mean something that looks like. And so I've heard sermons about avoid the very appearance of evil. Now, is that a good idea? Should we avoid things that look evil? Yeah, that's a good idea. But did you know that that's not what the Bible verse says? You can look it up, 1 Thessalonians 5.22 in your translations if you want to. Avoid evil showing up in your life. It's a, it's a mistake of, uh, not a mistake, but a misunderstanding in translation based on language 400 years ago. Now, some of these phantom verses feel just as real as a tree in my neighbor's yard. I guarantee it's there. I guarantee you it's there. Feel free. I don't want you to spend the rest of the sermon looking these up, but feel free if you really have to. Some of you are going to come up to me and you're going to be like, well, look, my obscure translation. Don't worry about it. These verses do not appear in your Bibles the way that you think that they do. But they're just kind of in our collective memory about this is the way things are. Entire religious movements have been based on misunderstood and misappropriated verses. And it's not just the Bible. It's our own blind spots. Do you have any blind spots? Of course you don't, because you don't know, because it's a blind spot. And before you start thinking that you're the exception, in my experience, people that are most confident that they don't need help, that they don't have blind spots, that they don't misunderstand certain things, are the ones that need help the most. There are a lot of good reasons that discipleship is relational, a lot of good reasons, but not the least of which... We are likely to miss some pretty obvious things about God, about the Scriptures, about life, and about ourselves unless we are connecting with other disciples, unless we are surrounding ourselves with people that love us and care about us and are willing to model for us what it might look like for Jesus to live in the, in the 21st century. Philippians chapter 3, verse 17 says this, "...join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model..." Keep your eyes on those who live as we do. The, the phrase keep your eyes is a study word. It's just one word, it's not three, but it's a study word in Greek. Keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Disciples connecting with other disciples. Um, Liam was telling me the other day there's, a, there's another kindergartner in, that goes to church with us whose name is Emma. And Leah, we, Liam, we were driving somewhere the other day, and Liam goes, Emma is so smart really she is smart i'm like well, why is emma so smart and he was like i mean he was like incredulous he's like she's so smart why is she smart she can do cartwheels and blow up balloons That is pretty smart. I mean, when you're five, that's pretty good. Cartwheels and balloons, and he's just blown away by her talent. And if if Liam ever needs cartwheel notes, you can go to Emma. Balloon, how do you blow up balloon? What's the technique? He can go to Emma. But he was like recognizing in this other person this ability that maybe he lacked in himself. And I think connecting with other disciples is similar to that. It is recognizing in other people something that we lack, potentially lack in ourselves, or something that we need to be, needs to be refined in ourselves. And we can put it this way, that connecting with other people is recognizing Jesus in other people. Connecting with other disciples is recognizing Jesus and other people. Because some people are like, wait a second, Paul says, uh, follow me, right? Be like me. And we don't want to be like Paul, we're trying to be like Jesus. So why would Paul say, follow me? Because Paul was following Jesus. So it wasn't just about like follow, be like Paul. It was about be like Jesus. But Paul's kind of given us an understanding of what this looks like. And he goes on to say, and note people. Keep your eyes on people who are doing that same thing. Can you think of people in your life that look like Jesus might look if they were living in our day and age? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I was headed toward my kid's school the other day. And we don't live very far from their school. And I was stopped at a stop sign, and I wasn't texting, I wasn't doing anything. I was stopped at the stop sign, and uh, the light turned green, and it felt like a nanosecond, and the car behind me honked. And I was like, what is this guy's problem? And so I'm looking in the rearview mirror. Now, a little confessional I went a little slower than I might have because he honked. I was like, you're not going to get me to move with your horn, buddy. I'm going to do what I want to do, and whether or not you honk at me is not going to be a problem. But I was going a little slower across that intersection, like, well, who's honking at me? The, the light's been green for a millisecond. Now, my wife, when she's riding with me, she says it's been green for much longer. Cause, like, but I'm, I'm telling you, she's sitting there, like, green. Go, Patrick. And I'm like... It just turned green. Give me a second for the synapses to process and the thing is nervous. Just give me a second. But this guy honked at me. And uh, it was just me in the car. And I, I keep going forward. And I look in the rearview mirror. And it's somebody I recognize from my kid's school. And, I, and I'm like, I'm going to my kid's school. We're going to both end up in the parking lot together. And this is going to be embarrassing for everybody. <laughs> so, true story I drove toward the school. And then I turned down, ducked down a side street. And I was like, I lost him. That's good. You know. And then I kind of made a roundabout and pulled into the school later, and I saw him walking inside. It was one of the coaches uh, of the school. And I'm like, oh, well, that was an awkward situation that I avoided. That was the way to handle How would Jesus handle awkward driving situations? He would dug down a side street, right? No. Um, a couple weeks later, totally forgot the incident. Totally forgot. Hadn't even thought about it. And uh, I was at a game, and I was kind of, the game was over. I was walking out a game that this guy coaches, and I heard Mr. Doherty from across the Jim. And I turned and I looked at this guy. This had gone out of my memory so much that I had totally forgotten about this incident. And I was like, oh, he just wants to chat. I don't know. I'm, I'm a likable guy. He just wants to talk to me. I don't know. So I walk over and he's like, were you driving at this intersection on this date? And I'm like, oh no, now I'm going to get it because he's going to expound on why he honked the horn. He's like, you need to pay attention where you're going. And I'm like, oh yes, it was me. And I, I ducked down a side street and I'm, I made the situation worse by trying to avoid the embarrassment, by the way. And this is what he said. He goes, I am so sorry that I did that. I'm so sorry. And i went, like, it's really no big deal. It's okay. He goes, no, I've been thinking about it. I've been laying awake at night, just so frustrated at myself for acting that way. Now, the, the, part of the reason that he apologized is because he did recognize who he had honked at. You know, it's embarrassing, right? Have you ever done that on the way to church? Like, who is this guy? And they're like, oh, no, they're turning into the church parking lot. Oh, No. But part of the reason he did that was that. But honestly, he did that, and it, it gave me so much respect for him. And I've thought about that subsequently when I'm in situations that require an apology. I've thought about, you know what? That guy took like three, four weeks and apologized that much later. I sometimes get to the point where a couple hours later, I'm like, well, the time has passed. I, can't, I shouldn't bring it up now. I mean, the moment is gone, and I think about him, and I think about, you know what? I think Jesus never had to apologize, but I think if Jesus did, he would do it like that guy. He would do it no matter what, and he would do it no matter, you know, he would just accept the responsibility of what he did. I love that. I was so impressed. It's infinitely helpful to see the way other people are living out Jesus in their lives. We got into foster care because of Travis and Anna Edwards. We saw them with foster babies, and we thought, if they can do it, anybody can do it. I am totally kidding, not at all. I honestly, I was telling the kids in class this morning, I think about the Edwards quite a bit. Like what would, when I'm tired and I want to go home and I don't want to serve people anymore, I think about what would Travis and Anna do? And they would stay awake all night holding the foster baby in one hand and fixing a car with the other. You know, they would, they would just go all out. What would they do? It's so helpful to think about that because I would let myself off the hook so easy. But when I think about other people trying to live Jesus in the world, it helps me understand what Jesus might do. Did Jesus ever get into foster care? No. But it helps me understand what Jesus might do if he did. And it was when they did that, I was like, it can be done. It wasn't because it was easy. It's not easy. (laughs) But it can be done. And other Christians are doing that sort of thing. Now, some of you are like, I'm not getting into foster care. That's fine. It's not the point. The point is, is that you see Jesus in the lives of other people, and it inspires you to do things like that because you have had your eyes on. You have modeled yourselves after someone who is modeling themselves after Jesus. Parenting from people who have spiritually minded kids. Sharing f- faith from people who, who are good at sharing their faith. Figuring out how to, how to post on Facebook from someone who does a really good job. Have you ever seen someone handle a tense, weird, awkward interaction on Facebook with just grace? And you're like, that's how Jesus would Facebook. He would handle it like that. I'm going to handle my Facebook comments. I'm not going to first thing I think and send. I'm going to handle it like that. You're recognizing Jesus in people. All right. It's not about, is this per- person perfect? It's about, is this person headed in the same direction, and are they a little bit further down the road than I am? That's all it's about. Are they perfect? No. Are you putting your faith in them? No. But it's about the direction they're headed, and they're giving you an idea of what it might look like. All right. Fine. Disciples connect with other disciples, but how? Well, I don't want to point out the obvious, but we have disciple groups. I used to call them life groups, and some of you are still, I'm calling it, disciple group. Some of you are like, I've even interacted with some of you, are like, life group, group, I don't know what to call it anymore. Like, you're so upset about the name change. It's like, okay, fine. Whatever. You call whatever. I don't care as long as you show up, right? Um, but a lot of you are like, I just, I don't know. How do you, you're talking about connecting with people, but how? How? Like, some of you are not good at interacting with humans, right? It's just not like, I was, this is a dumb joke, but what did one introvert say to the other introvert? Nothing, right? Like that's the that's the point, right? What am I supposed to do? And and it just terrifies you when you're in a room and and the the disciple group leader is like, oh well, this is our first meeting, everybody. Let's go around the room, introduce ourselves, and how about everybody share their deepest darkest secret? And you're like, I'm not gonna do that. I'm not coming back next week. Like, I hope they don't do that kind of stuff, right? Like some people, they don't. How do you connect? How? How? And I want to talk about that just real briefly as we wrap up this morning. I think it's important for us to acknowledge something at this church. This is very important. The issue for most of us in terms of connection is not quantity, but maybe it's quality. There are lots of opportunities for you to connect with other people. If you, are not, if you don't have an opportunity, I'm not saying this is, you're good at it, but if you don't have an opportunity to connect with other people, it's because you're not trying. There are tons of things to do, not the least of which is disciple groups and men's ministry and Wednesday nights and ladies' study and if you're a teenager youth group. I mean, there are a lot of good things that you can do to connect with other people. But maybe the issue is quality, because I think it's important that we understand that this goal of connecting with other people is not achieved necessarily, unless you're just not doing anything, is not achieved by adding something else to your calendar, That's not how it's achieved, because a lot of us have plenty of stuff going on. We don't need another thing on our calendar. What we need is the things that we are already involved in, doing a better job of those, unless you're not coming to things, unless you're not involved in things. My aunt uh, has this great picture on her wall uh, that she's had for as long as I can remember, and it's right on the way to the bathroom. So every time you go to the bathroom, you see this picture on her wall, and it's like kind of a sketch or a drawing, and it's, uh, in, the, in the background is this like big kind of apartment building, and it's on fire, it's burning. And in the foreground are a bunch of firefighters, and they're all gathered around what looks like a training manual arguing about how best to put out the fire. And I think about that picture all the time when I think about Christians who are engaged in more study. Li- listen, oh my goodness, don't misunderstand me. Somebody's gonna, one of the elders is going to come up and say, you don't think people should study the Bible? Don't hear that. But I think that we, have, we spend, we have plenty of opportunities to study what God wants us to do. What we need is to do what God wants us to do. That's where we need to be. Now, some of you are like, I need more study. Fine. Find someone to give you more study, but most of us, that's not the thing. Our struggle with obedience is not lack of knowledge, it's lack of effort. And so here's what I suggest in connecting with other people. How can I connect with other people? Look at this verse one more time, Philippians three seventeen. 17. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have as us a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Not just have opinions like we have, not just read the Bible the way that we read the Bible, but who live as we do. I have a suggestion. I think disciple groups should do this. I think our relationship should do this. I think our disciple groups should occasionally go out and do things, right? Go out and serve people. And I know a lot of your groups are doing that. But I think you need to find someone that you think has maybe, has their relationship with God a little more together than you do, has their parenting a little bit more together, and you start living with them, (laughs) That sounded funnier than I intended it. Don't live with them. They don't want you to move in. But live with them like, hey, can, 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 I, like, can I come over and have dinner with you guys? I want to see how this works in action. Your kids are amazing. Like, can, can our family come over and spend a little bit of time? Now, some of you people are like, I got good kids. I do not want people coming over for dinner. But just understand that it's, it's about engaging in life with the people around you to see how they're doing it. Like, you have some people here in this room that are great at sharing their faith. You know what you should do? You should go with them as they're getting ready to share their faith with someone. See what it's like in action. What does this look like in action? Because they can tell you, and that's one thing, but see it in action. We learn so much more. If you want to connect with people, connect with them in action, who live as we do. Who do you know that is living like Jesus that you can learn to live like Jesus from? Who do you know that is living like Jesus that you can learn to live like Jesus from? Two things as we wrap up. Number one is we have disciple groups that have already started, and if you're not in one, we want you to get in one today. Jordan is going to have these cards, and it just has our little disciple group logo on it. On the back is a name and a phone number. And all we need you to do, if you're not connected with the group, is fill that out, turn it into Jordan, and he will, by tomorrow, guaranteed, I just gave him some work to do, but by tomorrow, he will contact you and say, here's some options. We want to help you out. We want to get you connected with a disciple group. Here's how you can do it. If you're already in a discipleship group, great. If you like it, great. If you don't like it, give it a little bit of time. I'm sure it'll grow on you. So discipleship groups are are great. That's the first way to do that. And there are a million ways to do that, by the way. But the two things we want to offer, and the second thing we want to let you know about, is we're hosting a discipleship conference. We're bringing together, because it's not just our church, by the way, we're bringing together churches from across the metro to get together here on a Saturday and Sunday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Um, And we're going to talk about discipleship with other Christians from different churches. Because if you've ever been to a different church, it can be a little different, right? They have some different ideas about what discipleship looks like and some good ideas. We need to get people from other churches together and figure this thing out. So that's going to be October... 27th. I'm really up with the details. October 27th, and you can register for that now. It's going to be fantastic. We've got a spirit coming that we have heard nothing but rave reviews about, and we're really excited about that too, because they're going to stir in us the desire to get out and be disciples of Jesus Christ. That's what we're going to be doing. If you just need to find someone to talk to, come talk to us. Look at somebody around you that looks like they got their act together with their relationship with Jesus, and go up to them and say, hey, teach me. Teach me. Be my Jedi Master. I want to learn what it means to be like Jesus, and you look like you have some stuff figured out. That's what it means to connect with other disciples. We're going to pray, and then we're going to be dismissed. Father in heaven, Lord, we are very grateful to be able to be here this morning, Lord. And I know that the people in this room are people who are committed to being more like you. Uh, and I just I know that we have some blind spots and some rough edges, and we have some things that we just haven't been willing to dig into and deal with. And I just pray that we would love each other uh, deeply enough uh, to be able to, to ask to, for our, our problems, our issues to be pointed out, to be able to learn from one another. Uh, God, I pray that we would connect with one another in a way that draws us all closer uh, to the image of Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed.